Well, I can't think of a uh, an individual uh, more appropriate to kind of honor with today's message than Gwen. Um, as we talk uh, this morning about the kingdom being a seed, uh, we learned in the funeral service yesterday that she planted a lot of seeds and that there is literally generation upon generation of blessing that is happening because of Gwen's choices, because of Gwen's dedication to the gospel and to Jesus, and we saw that and heard about that yesterday, and I've heard about it this week, about uh, her value of the principle of prayer, and um, how many know, where would we be without someone else praying for us? Oh, and so I just want to, I want to honor Greg and obviously your mom this morning, and, and uh, I was very touched by yesterday's funeral service on so many levels. Um, but I think what really struck a chord in me was that it was a celebration. It, there, there was no mourning. There was tears for sure. But it was a celebration of a life that has been lived for God for decades. And we literally couldn't, we couldn't seat everyone in the building because there were so many people that were coming to uh, literally recognize and honor uh, the legacy of the gospel that Gwen not only lived but um, dedicated her her life to for many, many years. And so, um, obviously, our prayers with you, Greg, Diane, and, and the rest of the family, and uh, what a heritage. Oh, you know, it's one thing I'm, yeah, it's just exciting. Sometimes you, you see these moments every once in a while that just really strike a chord in you when you recognize the the heritage and the legacy of faith on display. And that's what we saw yesterday. So I just want to pray this morning before I, I jump into the next message in the series called The Kingdom. Father, Lord, I'm grateful that you've called us to partner with you in kingdom work and in kingdom business. I thank you, Lord God, that you've never called us to do something that you will not equip us to do. I'm thankful today, Holy Spirit, that you are here, that you are with us, that you are empowering us and equipping us to do supernatural things because we have faith to believe it this morning. God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to carry on with week three of the kingdom. And uh, it's funny, as I've been kind of processing through this theme and this topic, I've, I think I'm getting more out of it that I think I thought I would get out of it. It's just awesome. It's been such a journey for me. Um, but you will remember from last week, we landed on this one little thought um, that we repeated over and over and over again, and I hope it sticks. I hope it sticks for the rest of your life, is what is God's eternal purpose, and how does it connect to the kingdom of God? We've been doing the definitions of the kingdom and what that means, but what we landed on last week was that God's eternal purpose is that he what? Desires a... Worldwide covenant community made in his image to worship him and to reign with him. That is the epitome of what he thinks. That's his purpose. That's, his, that's everything to God. And so in relation to that, God is now calling us as his church to extend the kingdom of God, to extend the rule and reign of Christ wherever we go. And with the idea of not only extending the kingdom or the kingdom values, but to also expand his covenant community. That's his heart. 
That's the reason why he's delaying his coming. It's because he wants as many people to be a part of that covenant community as possible. How many, um, when you were growing up, you can remember certain moments that stuck out, just totally stand out in your mind that you probably will never forget, right? So whenever I get around my dad, and I remember my dad saying this when I was younger, he used to tell me about he remembers exactly where he was, what he was wearing, who he was with, and what room he was in when JFK was assassinated. He does not forget it. He also remembers exactly where he was when Paul Henderson scored that amazing goal in 1972. Come on now, all you hockey lovers. And some of those reasons that you remember certain things or certain events is because it has a a particular connection to your life, to your family, or to some of the things that maybe you track with. For me, there's an event that has stood out in my mind as something that I remember. Um, I do remember the Berlin Wall coming down 1989. That was something that was huge. I never forget that. Um, more than this generation, we will never forget 9-11. I know exactly where I was when that happened. But there's an event that, that kind of tied more into my life and my journey that I never forget. It's an event that took place January 28th, 1986. And for some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. For me, I will never forget that date. I'll also never forget the scenario and the situation that happened. Because in July of that year, July of 1986 my family took our longest trip that we've ever taken in our lives. I believe, if I remember correctly, it was four weeks, Mom? Was it four weeks? That we literally took off from Oshawa, Ontario, and did a tour of the United States for a month. And one of our stops was at Cape Canaveral in Florida. And when we went there in July of 1986, there was this beautiful memorial that was done for the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster that happened on January the 28th, 1986. Why does it stand out for me? Number one, I saw the memorial, so it's something I'll never forget. I can remember it. I, I remember what it looked like. I remember some of the things that were written about it. NASA did an incredible job of honoring the lives of those seven astronauts. But what stood out to me was that it was the first time in the history of the NASA program that they actually had a civilian that went up in the space shuttle. Her name was Krista McAuliffe and she was a teacher. Why did it hit me? Because my dad was a teacher. So a civilian for the first time. Why was it significant? Well, it was significant because it was broadcast live on TV. Some of you remember this. What was significant was that there was a civilian on board, a teacher. First time ever. What was significant was that 73 seconds into liftoff, the Challenger space shuttle blew up in the sky and everybody on board died. And then as you know, the, as we see it in today's news and different things, that whenever something goes wrong, there's this full-scale evaluation and process to try to figure out what in the world happened to allow this event to actually take place. And after months of process and and, and, and hard work and research and, and evaluation, they ended up landing on the reason why the Space Shuttle Challenger blew up that 
fateful morning on January 28, 1986. The night before, for the first time in years, the temperature actually went below zero degrees, or for Americans, 32 degrees Fahrenheit in Florida. And as a result, there's these little tiny O-rings that were connected to the rocket launcher, the rocket booster, that became faulty. And it was a small little O-ring that caused the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. A small, tiny little O-ring. And what they figured was is it was a result of the temperature being so cold in Florida that night before. Pretty crazy that something so incredibly small could have such a large impact. Something that many people will never forget because it was literally televised on national television. Something so small that can have a significant impact. When Jesus talked about the influence of the kingdom, he wanted to use an illustration to help us understand how big of an impact he was calling the church and believers to have. And he utilized an illustration and a, and a little thought that we're going to talk about today. And it's significant because of how small it is in size. He actually talked about the kingdom of God being like a seed. And he just didn't say a seed. He actually specifically talked about a mustard seed. And so I'm going to read a passage of scripture here this morning. It's in Matthew 13, verses 31 to 32. And it says this. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds come and perch in its branches. So you have to understand a couple of basic things here before we move on. Number one, the, the seed that is being talked about in this parable is the church. It's you. It's me. The man is the son of man, Jesus Christ, the son of God. And the field is the world. Jesus is planting us as kingdom influencers in our sphere of influence. Why? Because he wants us to extend the rule and reign of Christ wherever we go. So interestingly enough, the mustard seed is, the, is literally one of the smallest seeds that have ever existed. I'm going to show a picture of it. Oh, you see it there. That's on a, some, the end of someone's thumb. But this is how large of a tree it can become. That's a mustard seed tree, a mustard tree. So you have to understand a couple of things that we're going to talk about today. The first thought is this, that the kingdom of God has humble beginnings. <laughs> How many have ever come up with this grand dream and plan of God in your mind, and it's always much bigger than what you think you could ever do? And then God says, that's a great idea. That's awesome. Okay, we're going to start over here. Like, but, but God, I, I have this huge plan. And he's like, I hear you. It's going to start over there. Serious? Yes, he says, don't despise the days of small beginnings. Amen? Matthew 13, 31 again. This, this verse is awesome. He says, he told them the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all the seeds. So when I looked up the word for the word small in the Greek, it actually has two separate meanings. 
It literally means, it means small in quantity or size and small in significance. Small in quantity or size or small in significance. And if you look at the Bible, you will see countless examples of God using small and insignificant people or using small and insignificant circumstances or situations to bring about amazing things. If you're in this place this morning and you feel like there's no way God could use me, I, I don't got nothing. Listen, Moses started out as a basket case. That was for you, Colleen. I'm still thinking of the cl- of cloud and the tablet and all that stuff. That was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David was rejected by his father and his brother. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Moses also had a stuttering problem. He was asked to communicate on behalf of God to Egypt and the nation of Israel. He couldn't even speak. God, his infinite wisdom, says, okay, bring your brother along and we'll, we'll deal with things that way. It's like, okay, you just put the rod down. Okay, I can do that. But you have to understand, even Jesus himself had humble beginnings. Who would have ever known that the king of the universe would have been born in a stable? In a manger. There was no holiday in expressing it for Jesus. I can say that. And then he decided to go one step further and says, I'm going to pick the most amazing group of people that will blow everyone else out of the way. I'm going to pick the lowest of the low. I'm going to pick fishermen to be my followers. Oh, and then I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to pick a tax collector who all of the Jews hate Because they're collecting money from the Jews for the Romans. Matthew's a win. And then I'm going to pick a couple of brothers that just get angry all the time. (laughs) Called the Sons of Thunder. And there's reasons why. Oh, and then there's another guy I'm going to pick because he's like the most faith-filled guy in the world. We're going to call him Thomas. (laughs) And then we're going to get another guy that likes to steal from our money pouch. And who's eventually going to betray me. He's a real winner. His name's Judas. And just so we don't get confused, I'm actually going to have two of them. (laughs) And then there's two other guys that I don't even know how to pronounce their name, and I'm just going to keep saying, hey, you, as we keep doing things for God, because I don't even know how to say their name. That's the people that Jesus picked. Sometimes we have this grand plan and this grand thought when we read Scripture, and we go, wow, wasn't Peter awesome? He's the guy denying Jesus three times in the hours leading up to his death. He's a real win. Everyone ran away. Wow, that's support. That's great kingdom people, Jesus. I think, I don't know about you, but Jesus, I think I would have picked some other people. Paul murdered Christians for the sake of what he thought was the kingdom. There's a win. Can I read a verse to you that I love? Every time I read this, I get excited because then I, I think to myself, God can use anyone. John 1, verses 45 to 46. says, Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth? exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? He goes, no, come and see for yourself. 
there's at least one thing. <laughs> Probably nothing else, but there's at least one thing. Listen, I am from Oshawa. Can anything good come from the dirty swa? I have no idea. And if you've ever lived there, you'll know why you never want to live there ever again. I'm kidding. It's actually improved. You know, every time I go back and drive through there, it's like, hey, that looks okay. <laughs> I don't go, wow, but it's like, better? <laughs> They're working on it. You know what I'm saying? I would say it like this. In Kingston, you have these amazing places that you, you get to go see, but the roads are so bad that by the time you get there, you think you're having cardiac arrest because of all the shaking. In Oshawa, the roads are pristine, and it takes you nowhere. And you're like, how in the world does that happen? You know what I'm saying? Oshawa and Kingston need to get together and figure it out. I remember when we first moved here, and we had to go downtown a couple of times, you know, visit people in the hospital, and then we had babies, too, so we had to go down there. And, and we're going down, and we're like, well, I'm just going to tell you the story. This is really embarrassing, but I'm going to tell you the story. Okay. Okay. How many have ever had kidney stones? All right. How many have traumatic memories from those kidney stones? Come on now. All right. Well, I had a moment. I don't know if you've ever... Uh, I have never given birth, obviously, um, but I had my own unique moment where I thought that maybe for a second I could sort of relate, even sort of, kind of, 1%. So I'm having a massive kidney stone attack. I have no idea what it is. I'm thinking to myself, I'm dying, and I'm literally saying to Sandra, honey, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to die. I said, honey, I love you. Just tell the kids I love you. It was like 12 o'clock at midnight. It was after a long day. We actually had a baptism that day, if I remember correctly, in the morning. And it's like, God, this is awesome. And I'm thinking I'm going to die. And so I, we get in the car. And I said, honey, go as fast as you can and ask Jesus to look the other way. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to every Kingston police officer that is on patrol that they do not see the 2006 silver sienna streaking by. And we got going at a good pace. And I'm like, honey, yeah, yeah, go, 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 go. And then we hit the roads. We hit the potholes. And in the same moment, I'm going, honey, speed up, slow down. Honey, I, <laughs> and I'm crawling up the, uh, uh, literally, I'm crawling up the seat. I'm like, honey, slow down. And then, and then she slows down. I'm like, oh, that's good. Honey, it's so much pain. Go. So I'm, we're going, 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 going. And we get there. And you know what happened? I almost passed out because of the last pothole that we hit. And in that moment, I'm like, I wish I was in Oshawa, Lord. <laughs> the roads are so much better. I gave birth to Rocky, and um, it was a sequel, so there was like part 17, you know what I'm saying? And then everything felt better after that. It was awesome. What am I getting at? Think about this. The enemy wants to convince you of every single thing that disqualifies you from kingdom work. 
your experiences, what you go through, where you come from, what your family life is like. It doesn't matter. And Jesus looks at us and goes, I choose you. Do you know what you're getting? Yep. I could really drop the ball with this thing. I choose you. He looks at the guy who he knows is going to steal the money and goes, I put you in charge of the money. It's not a decision I would ever make. I'm just saying. But I want you to understand that no matter the humble beginnings, no matter what you feel is insignificant or small, God can take anything and exponentially make it larger because that's what he is in the business of doing. That's what it means when it says the kingdom is a seed. Twelve people were chosen 2,000 years ago, and according to the stats from 2016, 2.2 billion people on the earth today are considered Christian. Now, to what degree they're actually following Christ wholeheartedly or not, I don't know. But when censuses have been done and things through government, you know, when we vote and you fill out these censuses and stuff, that is what people are tracking with. 2.2 billion across the world. And that's not even including all the people that have passed and gone. 12 people has turned into billions of people years later. Hmm. From humble beginnings to worldwide influence. That's the power of a small seed. God loves to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things through them. I want to read a, a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29, and it says this. Brothers and sisters, consider who you were when God called you to salvation. Not many of you were wise scholars by human standards. We can relate. Nor were many of you in positions of power. Can I say this this morning? Sometimes I, I have got into this pattern in my life where I keep thinking to myself, oh God, if we just had more Brian Pattersons in key positions, then everything would be okay. And I completely believe that we need to have the Brian Pattersons as our mayor. And everyone said, Amen. Because he's a born-again, in-love-with-Jesus guy. But sometimes we can get caught into this trap where we think, well, God, if you just do it like this, 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 and this, then we can gain influence. And his answer is, I want to use you. To do what? Do you want me to be the mayor? Nope. Plant seeds. How? It doesn't matter to me how you choose to do it. As long as it involves prayer, me, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God, you're good. Okay, sounds good. Not many of you were considered the elite when you answered God's call. But God chose those whom the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And God chose the puny and powerless to shame the high and mighty. He chose the lowly, the laughable in the world's eyes, nobody, so that he would shame the somebodies. I love his plan. For he chose what is regarded as insignificant in order to supersede what is regarded as prominent so that there would be no place for prideful boasting in God's presence. He wants the glory. Second thought. Not only are we going to have humble beginnings, but second thought is this. Someone has to plant the seed. 
Matthew 13, 31 says that the man planted the mustard seed in his field. Remember that the seed is the church, okay? The seed is the instrument that God is using to advance the kingdom, and therefore the seed is the church. The church is that instrument that God is choosing to use to extend the kingdom of God on the earth. There's a great uh, professor of theology at Pacific Lutheran University. His name is Douglas Oakman. He said this, a mustard seed grows entirely wild. I love this. This gets me excited. Though it is improved by being transplanted, but on the other hand, when it has once been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it. As the seed, when it falls, germinates at once. How many in May saw all the dandelions on your front lawn? How many in June saw they have grandbabies? And they came back. And then by July, they have now had a family reunion of dandelions. And now it is an infestation of yellow little flowers that your seven-year-old thinks are pretty. When you're trying to convince them, no, it's bad. Interesting that Jesus uses a mustard seed. He could have used anything. He used this one. Why? Because it is absolutely out of control the moment it's planted. It just spreads. It germinates at once. It goes crazy. But it has to be planted. It has to be planted. So when we are subjects and citizens of this kingdom, what God is looking for is something very, very simple. He wants us to be full of faith. He wants us to be driven by conviction and courageously plant the seeds of the kingdom wherever we go. That's God's heart. Third thought is this. Where the kingdom grows, people are blessed. Matthew 13, 31, just to want to kind of hammer home a couple of key thoughts in these verses here. It goes, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, it becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Douglas Oakman says this again. The picture painted in the parable of the mustard seed by Jesus is of the humble beginnings of the church experiencing an explosive rate of growth. It grows large and becomes a source of food, rest, and shelter for both believers and false professing individuals that seek to consume or take advantage of its benefits while residing or mixing among what was produced by the seed. Okay, there are incredible benefits to this mustard seed becoming a tree. First thing we see here is that it becomes shade and protection for those that would want to hide within its branches. How many know that the church needs to be a haven of healing and rest for those that are hurting? Okay. It also means that those birds that come, or in, in this case people that come, need to be nourished and fed. That's why it's so important that it becomes a tree. Interestingly enough, birds come from all over the region in order to take from that tree and to eat from that tree. So I want you to think just beyond Kingston. Think regionally. Think nationally. Think globally. What's the result? People's lives are changed. So how does this happen? Well, there's three basic thoughts I want to just drop, and then I'm going to move on. Number one, it needs to grow. That seed needs to grow. In other words, we must develop, learn, and obey the Word of God to become more like Christ. Why is this important? Because if the only thing we do is stay a seed or keep the seeds of the kingdom in our hands the birds will never eat from it because we didn't become a tree. We've got to become that tree. I believe that when we grow in Christ's likeness and we grow to live like Jesus and love like Jesus, that we're going to be able to help others in a, in a much more meaningful and impactful way. That's God's heart. 
Why is this important that we grow? Because God wants to advance his kingdom. That's his heart. Why? Because he wants a worldwide covenant community made in his image to worship him and reign with him. That's what he wants. Always. That's what he's thinking. The second thing is this. He needs to be nourished. The question I kind of asked myself when I was thinking about this point was, what are we feeding on? Pretty simple thought. Matthew 4.4, 4, it says, we, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. How many know that there's a lot of voices in your life right now? And what we need to do is, is have the courage to eliminate the voices and just make sure that the voices that are in our lives are those that are emanating God's heart and God's voice for our lives. Amen? Proverbs 4, 20 to 22, it says this. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them in healing to their whole body. Third thought is this. It has to be cultivated. How many know that most people learn best by doing? Right? We have audio learners, we have visual learners, and then we have learners that actually learn because they do. Um, and there's different types of people that learn in different, many different ways. But I think the, the root of everything, I can just think of this growing up playing hockey, at the end of the day, the only reason I ever got what the coach was saying is because I just kept practicing that thing over and over and over and over again. And then I'm like, oh, that's how you do it. I remember when I was like eight years old and the coach is trying to teach me how to shoot a wrist shot. And I'm like, I was one of those puny little scrawny little kids that couldn't get the puck off the ground. And you're so embarrassed. You're standing there like, everyone else is doing it and I can't do it. And then one day something clicked, and I realized what he was talking about. I'm left-handed, so it was my left hand that he basically taught me this one little tool, and the moment I did it, it was like, wow, I could, hit, I could hit it over the net. I could hit the crossbar. I could bar down, as my son says all the time. I could do it all the time, and I'm like, it was one little thing, but what, it, what happened? I kept doing it over and over and over again. What does God want us to do? Plant seeds over and over and over again, but they didn't listen keep planting seeds over and over. They didn't respond. Just keep planting seeds over and over again. Why? Because it's the seed that is the one and the thing that's actually going to bring them to Christ. It's not you. It's you putting the seed in. Amen? The Holy Spirit can work with the seed that's planted. He can't work with the seed that's still in your hand. Got it. Okay, good point. Four. Immeasurably more. I love this verse. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. It says, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than uh, all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, here's a question for you. Serious question. What is that one big situation that you're dealing with in life that you know that only God can change? Because if you would have changed it, you would have changed it a long time ago. Think about that. Now I want you to think about the God who loves to turn small things into big, impactful things. You know what I often say about us, this city, this nation? I always say, well, why not us? Why not Kingston? Why not this group of people? Why not Impact Church? It's much easier to go, well, it's not working, and blah, 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 blah. I go, why not? What happens if it does work? That'd be awesome. How many know that the stuff that we want to see happen 
has probably not happened yet, which is why we thought of it. Right? But you serve the God that can take something as small as a mustard seed. And the moment that thought is germinated, that could be a, a word shared, it could be a prayer, a prayer that's prayed. The moment that thing germinates, exponential things can happen. God can do immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. I love this in Matthew 17, verse 20. It says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. Interesting in Scripture, it actually mentions uh, in the Bible, 336 times it mentions this concept of faith. This is how important it is. But what he's literally saying, faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. All right, I'm going to end with a story. My last thought is what I'm kind of saying is believing is seeing. (laughs) 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 14 to 18. I'm just going to give you a little bit of background on the story. Um, This is talking about the prophet Elisha. He's got his little servant named Gehazi. Uh, They're sitting down one day and they know that the Assyrian army wants to defeat Israel, wants to come in and find Elisha. So what happens is is the generals in the Assyrian army are in the war room in Assyria. And they're planning out the battle. And while they're planning out the battle, God picks up his long-distance phone package through AT&T and calls Elisha and says, this is what they're going to do. Go tell the king of Israel. Okay. Tells the king of Israel. And Israel ambushes their ambush. And the Syrian king is like, how did that happen? So they do it again. Guess what happened? God calls up Elisha. This is what they're going to do this time. They're going to come from this angle. They're going to try this. Go tell the king. Okay. Tells the king of Israel. He goes, okay. What they do the second time? They ambush the ambush, and then it gets personal. Now God calls up Elisha and says, this is what the king of Assyria is doing in his bedroom. Tell them. And one of the Syrian army uh, captains finds out about what Elisha's talking about, the king of Assyria. And he says, how in the world would he know what I'm doing in my bedroom? Because it's the man of God. He's the prophet of God. He knows everything you're doing. It doesn't matter what you do. He'll read your mail, and he'll figure it out, and he'll do it. So then the king of Assyria goes, okay, we're going to kill Elisha. We're going to take this guy out, this prophet of God. He thinks he's all special. I'm going to send in my best troops and as many troops as I possibly can. All right. So picking up the story, verse 14. Here we are. Therefore, he, is the king of Assyria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. Okay. So Gehazi goes out, gets his morning, you know, double-double. He definitely got his apple fritter because he loves Sandra, right? So definitely got his apple fritter. Got his morning, you know, newscast. He's seeing his subscriptions on his phone. He's good. And he looks up, and he sees thousands of soldiers from Assyria surrounding him. How many would be concerned at that point? Okay, 
So he goes back inside. And he says, his servant says to him, Alas, my master! Exclamation mark. What shall we do? you got to read the story. Like, if you just read it like, oh, what shall we do? <laughs> you know, it's a bad day, man. He's like, what are we going to do, master? And he answered him, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And he looks at him and he goes, one, two. Hundred thousand Syrian troops. One, two. Did you go to school, Elisha? Because you definitely didn't pass math. That's all I got to say. Even the new math you wouldn't have got. I'm telling you right now. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. The problem was is his eyes were open and that's what concerned him. It's what he saw with his eyes that concerned Gehazi, the servant. Okay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Okay. I'm confused. What happened? For the first time, in this little kerfuffle, the Lord caused him to see with his spiritual eyes of faith, not his natural eyes, with the information that his natural senses were telling him. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God had his back. What do I want you to do with this? When, I, when you plant seeds of the kingdom, don't judge its success by what you see in the natural. <laughs> but judge its success by what God is doing behind the scenes in the supernatural realm. I'm going to skip a verse down to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. I, I love this. It says, I was the one who planted the church. This is Paul talking. And Apollos, another leader in the church, came and cared for it, but it was God who caused it to grow. Verse 7, this means that the one who plants is not anybody special, nor the one who waters. For God is the one who brings supernatural growth. God's the one. I want to share one thing, and then I'm going to pray, and we're in. Ryan and Lindsay. Guys, stand up for a second. I'm going to put you on the spot. Go ahead. Stand up, guys. How many think he has the best beard in the entire world? Come on. How many think this is an awesome couple? Amen. I want to tell you why they're here today. They're here because of a postcard that cost to make approximately four cents each. Four cents. Four pennies that don't exist anymore. 
it still would have to round up, of course, to a nickel. But four cents of a postcard. You guys can have a seat. And we get to live out the exponential blessing of the two of them on this house. All because of a postcard. I still don't know who it was, but it was one of our kids that did wintergreen. It was one of Caleb or Josiah that just put in their mailbox one day after church. That was it. That's all. Say, well, that doesn't work like that every time. But it could. But God can't use it if it's in your hand. He can only use it if it's planted. I've already practiced my seed throwing this week with all the salt. <laughs> and as I was doing it on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm like, oh, I'm planting seeds, Lord, please let the ice get rid of this ice. Lord, I hate this ice. But literally, as I'm doing it, I'm thinking of this message going, I'm planting seeds, Lord. Help me to understand that that's all you're asking us to do. And you've already given us your Holy Spirit to do it. It's not like we don't have the tools. He's already given us the tools. The Holy Spirit is here. The Word of God is here. The name of Jesus is here. The blood of Christ is what protects us. Hello. That's all. Let's stand. Father, I pray this morning for this time.